This is Career Competitor, and it is the podcast that believes we all have a competitive self that drives our optimal performance in our careers and within our lives. My name is Steve Meller, and in the past 15 years, having been a coach to high performers, Olympians, business owners, executives across all walks of life, I have come to find that competitiveness comes from within. And I'm going to be using this podcast to really showcase how competitors from all walks of life are finding optimal performance and have built the careers that they have today. On this episode of Career Competitor, I have the fortune of welcoming in a good friend of mine, Dr. Brett Blair, to the show. And as always, he will get the introduction he certainly deserves in just a moment. But here are some of the key takeaways, the key insights that you can be on the lookout for within this episode. Firstly, we tackle the importance of not plateauing within your life. Secondly, we dive into why getting clear on your priorities is a key to long-term results. And finally, Brett lets us in on how your growth mindset is optimized by living one day at a time. So we're going to dive into these things and much more within the episode. Be sure to go check out brettblairphd.com to learn more about Brett, his services, everything that he currently provides. And in addition to that, a big part of why he's on the show today is to let you know about his new book coming out, which is Born, Love, Die, A Memoir. And you can access that right now on Amazon. So head to Amazon, grab yourself a copy of Born, Love, Die by Brett Blair. And I'm excited to be diving into this really powerful, insightful episode of Career Competitor. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Hey, before we carry on with this episode, let me bring your attention to a link that you'll find right there in the show notes so that you can subscribe to my monthly email. It's just going to give you some awesome insights on who it is I am, what it is I've got going on, and maybe there'll be one or two food for thoughts in there that can stimulate your process, get you to get a little unstuck, get you to take a little bit more action, and maybe get you a little closer to optimal performance as you start to shape a stronger version of your optimal self. Go ahead, click that link in the show notes so you can become part of the ever-growing email list that's receiving this awesome insight each and every month, courtesy of me and courtesy of Career Competitor. Now, back to the episode. Okay, our career competitor today is a man I have been truly blessed to get to know over the past year as I come to learn all about his work as a fellow executive coach, as a fellow author, and as a fellow fan of simply seeing people become their truest and best selves. Specifically, our guest works closely with select entrepreneurs and senior business leaders to help drive growth, and he does this thanks to the lessons he took from his PhD in psychology and his equally impressive business and coaching experience. But as of September 10th, our guest is now a two-time author thanks to the release of his powerful, vulnerable, and truly impactful new memoir titled Born, Love, Die. And he is joining us today to not only share what this book is about and how it can serve you as a reader, but to also dive into the power of the human spirit in living life to its fullest. It's my true joy and pleasure to welcome in my friend, Dr. Brett Blair. Brett, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Steve. 
<laughs> Absolutely. How do, man. how do I how do I follow that introduction? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. You, the best part about an introduction is I'm just talking about you. I, I no. may put a sweet. I may put some sweetness on it, but it's still you, man. It's still you. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, well, thank you. and. And listen, man, you know, I'm I'm really just excited to dive into your story a little bit. But the, the one thing I, I really want to make this about is that one thing I've gotten to know about you over the last year is that you're so forward thinking. Your your belief is that there's always the best is yet to come. There's always more ahead. There's always opportunity around the around the uh, the corner. And before we start diving into the book and whatnot, why don't you just share a little bit about your general outlook towards coaching. People hear about mine all the time on this show, but I would love to know why it is that you've chosen the world of coaching and what it is that this world of coaching really does for you on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Well, to answer that, I need to go back a bit. So as a as a boy, eight, nine, 10 years old, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to do something that would help people. I was really curious. And then when it came time to choose a, a college and a degree and a career, I got confused and chose money over meaning or passion, and I chose to be an engineer, which was a big mistake, but I, I, I did it, and then I, I, I finished the degree, which I didn't like, but I, I finished it. I got a job <clears throat> that I didn't like, met a lady who had two little girls, and then we got married and had a boy, and literally 20 years went by in a blink in that career of a, from the outside, a great career moved quite a few times, promotions and all the, all the things that people think you you should want. I I pursued. And then in my, my mid forties, when my youngest was approaching graduating from high school, our company had a reorganization and I was told that I was going to now report to who was a friend. The younger guy was now going to be my boss and something inside my, my body rejected that idea. Yeah, hmm. I, I felt like I could picture my career plateauing, and that just was something I couldn't take. So I reached out to a mentor of mine, an older fellow who was a, my first, one of my girlfriend's dads, to ask him to help me think through how to find a new job, not knowing that at this point in time, he was a coach. Actually, he had retired from his career and was coaching people. I didn't even know what a coach was. And he, in, that, in our in that conversation, he, he listened to me and he, he gave me an assignment. He said, well, hey, write me a long email. Write down everything that you think you'd like to do in your new job and write down everything you think you don't want to do and let's have a call. So I did that. And then we talked about a week later, went through that list. And then he said, hey, I've got a question. I said, what's that? He goes, have you ever thought of owning your own business? And it, it, it took my breath away to even to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, not since like I was a teenager. He goes, well, if you're ever going to, now's a good time. That question gave me permission to think about that. And that, that's ultimately what I did. And, and I thought, well, that, that's what's eating at me is I want to be an entrepreneur and now I'm going to do it. So I ended up starting a recruiting company, a headhunter. And I had never really sold anything in my life. So this is a big, a big shift from corporate guy to a self-employed salesperson, basically. So I hired Tom to be my business coach, not knowing that he would coach me on my life. Like in my, mm-hmm. my late 40s, he started to teach me or coach me on a philosophy 
that I had never really taken on before of, of responsibility for my life and my future and to get honest about my priorities and focus on growth. So I started doing these things and uh, my life and my new business took off. It was great. And I started to, for the first time, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but in my mid forties, dream about my future and about meaningful pursuits. And as I started to do that, my, my marriage started to fall apart. My wife of 20 years didn't like this change. We ultimately got divorced and my business, I opened in the the suburbs of Detroit in 2007, 2008, 2009, the economy melted down completely. My business was went from in a rocket ship to a death spiral. (laughs) At the same time I'm divorced paying alimony. And when it couldn't get any worse, honestly, I, I got a phone call from my mom who was at that time retired as a widow living in Florida. And she called me and told me that she just found out she has a lung disease and that she needed to get a lung transplant. And uh, long story short, she ended up going to Duke Hospital in Durham, North Carolina for that. And they would only allow her to be a patient if she had a family member live with her in Durham, North Carolina as her caregiver. So at 49 years old, I moved with my mother to Durham, North Carolina in a tiny apartment running my recruiting company remotely. It was in, it was based in Detroit and being coached once a month by Dr. Hill. And even though the outside of my life was bad, the insides, I could tell I was growing and I was developing a a growing philosophy. So I just kept at that. I met a lady on eHarmony. My mom got a double lung transplant. She went home back to Florida three months later. I stayed in Durham my recruiting company grew when I got out of the way. That's another discussion. <laughs> and I'm being coached once a month. And I, I started to realize how this whole coaching process can be so good. It, it, just, it changed my life. I'm aware now that had I not had my intersection with Tom Hill in my mid-40s, I might still be in that old job, in that old marriage, in that old career, and not know the difference. Mm. So right. I ran my recruiting company started learning about coaching, went through some training. Uh, a year later, I got married. And then a couple years later, my, my first wife took her own life. And I became super interested in resilience. And why do some people go through hardships, trauma, and give up? Some die. Or, and others go through the exact same thing and grow. I'm a big fan of, of um, Victor Frankl. Um, mm. So I started to read everything I could on resilience and just really curious about it. And I would run into people in Durham here that I could tell from first glance, they hated their jobs or they hated their marriage or they hated their body. They were just really unhappy. And I wanted to shake them and say, dude, you don't have to live like that. You can, you you can change and you can make a career out of something you love. And I realized I was being a bit of a hypocrite. I didn't love my Hmm. my recruiting company. I love coaching. So I decided to, pursue my third career, which is full-time coach. Uh, my meantime, our marriage, my marriage to Kim was beautiful. We were really, really, really equally yoked. Um, and then in, in my coaching meeting with Dr. Hill, I was telling him how geeked up I was about positive psychology. I read a book called Flourish by Dr. Martin Seligman back in 2011. It talks about a theory called PERMA. I could tell you more about this, but a theory on how to grow in your life, in a, how to flourish through 
positivity, engagement, positive relationships, meaning, and achievement. And when I read that book, I got so interested in that. I thought, I'm going to go get a master's degree in that. There's a program at University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I told my coach, hey, I'm thinking of getting a master's degree in positive psychology. He said, don't you already have a master's degree? Which I did. I have an MBA. And he said, well, why don't you get a, a doctorate? Again, mm-hmm. my coach asked me a question that opened up possibilities. So I ended up checking into that and decided to get a doctorate in psychology at through Capella University. Now, you know, I was 57 years old then. I chose resilience as my dissertation topic. Got that approved by the, uh, the IRB at Capella. And in 2019, Kim and I decided to move from our suburban home to downtown Durham, where I am right now, for a couple of years to live in the city. March of 2020, COVID shut down the city. <laughs> it's like, darn and then a month later, she was diagnosed with ALS. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm halfway done with my dissertation on resilience. I was researching how middle-aged corporate male executives handle it when they're, when they're laid off from their jobs. And then, lo and behold, I get a new curriculum of resilience. And that is mm-hmm. facing the, the disease that will ultimately take the life of my my best friend, my wife. It was like God said, okay, smarty pants. You, th- you <laughs> think you have this resilience topic down? Try this. Yeah. So I uh, finished the PhD, shut down my business, took care of her. Uh, she was diagnosed at April 29, 2020. She died May 11, 2021. And then I took a year off to get healthy. And then now back to work. But on Sunday will be her 53rd birthday, and I'm releasing my book, Born, Love, Die, which you mentioned earlier, which is a deep dive into the year of ALS. From my perspective as her husband and caregiver, and as much as I can share her perspective as the, as the person facing the disease, and the, the raw truth of it, the sadness of it, but also the beauty of it, and the, the lessons that came from it. That year profoundly changed me in most ways for better, hopefully forever. So I, I just vomited on you a fast story, but that's, that's where I am today. <laughs> um, I am, I have, I have always been a positive, joyful, high energy, curious human being. I love to learn. I love to dream about the future and go for it. And I'm thankful that these difficulties I've gone through haven't stolen that, passion I have. And one thing I do in my coaching work is help others learn the process for growing in positivity and in how to build resilience through, through it. Mm. So it's the, the abundant, the, the thing that comes through abundantly to, to me, having read your story, heard your story, hearing it again in podcast slash eight, nine minute form. Um, what it does is it just it emphasizes in abundance the the role having someone to support us through something like coaching plays when helping you recognize things that otherwise by yourself you wouldn't recognize helping you optimize opportunities that otherwise you wouldn't optimize like i i think we all 
and here I am as a coach, and I know I'm guilty of this myself, which is why I have my own coach, is knowing that there are times where you feel as though you've got it figured out or that, hey, I'm good. I'm all right. I don't, I don't, I appreciate the offer, but I'm, I'm good. And the fact of the matter is, we are all better off for having that shoulder to lean on to have that other voice in our life. And it sounds as though that's been the neutral point now for you since that initial discovery. It was almost like you had that initial discovery, the power of coaching, and you said, I'm never going to let this go to the point of where now it's become your all day, every day. That's that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, without a doubt. But and I tell you what I'm aware of, and it scares me. That I, you know, I told you I was married 20 years and the same career 20 years. If, if you had asked me year one through year 19, am I happy? My marriage? Am I happy in my career? I would have said yes without without reservation, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be like I'm lying to you. That's what I told myself. So what scares me is I now know I was on the wrong path and, and I'm so thankful I got off the wrong path, but it happened because this other fellow helped me think of it, think of it more objectively. And uh, so sometimes it takes another human to, to do that to you, to help you think more objectively about what's going on and be open to, to a change. Uh, and I learned, yeah, I, and I, I, here, here's something else I've learned from a data, yeah. data point of one. What person I wanted to be when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old was the person I want to be. I mean, I'm mm. that little kid who wanted to help people is who I am today. The kid who wanted to be a, an author is a kid. The guy I am today, I, I, I think there's some wisdom in what you dream of as a kid. There's some, some truth to that because I, I let what I thought other people thought I should do cover me up as I got older. I'm now much more self self driven and introspective and checking in. However, I, I'm aware I lied to myself before I could do it again. Therefore, I have a coach. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that that is such a that's a great point there at the end. Just like understanding that at any point, it, it, and it, I talk about it all the time. It's why we bridge the gap and don't necessarily close the gap because it's really important to acknowledge that that gap in so many ways never goes away. It, it's always there. We're always vulnerable to it. The, the stronger the bridge is, the less likely we're going to fall into it. But even when that bridge seems bulletproof, that's usually when it's actually at its most vulnerable yes. is that when we think we think it doesn't need any more work. Right. And then we end up falling right back into where it was we first started. Uh, but something, something you said there that I, I definitely cannot overlook because I'm I'm a kid at heart, and I've done a lot of that self analysis over the last couple of years as I've started my businesses. What am I doing now that serves what it was I always wanted to do? I always wanted to be a performer. That was always my thing. Sport did that for me for so long. Like I, I didn't realize that's what it was doing. That was the cup that it was filling. But as I look back in hindsight, I realized I was getting to perform and people were able to watch what I was doing. So therefore, I was performing. Right. You know? and, and now I look at what I'm doing and it's why I'm, I'm becoming more and more intentional about getting in front of people, plural, and commanding their attention. Like I'm not... There's no point me trying to dismiss that or be humble about that when the truth is five, six, seven-year-old Steve, he wanted to command the attention of his parents and put on a performance and do a play and all this kind of thing. Like I'm that same kid at 38 years old now, but I'm able to have gone through 
20 plus years of influence and beliefs and systems and ways of doing things are all around me, believing I'm supposed to go in some other direction when the truth be told, pursuing who you are at your at your truest self and where your potential and your passions truly lie, there's almost like that's the secret, right? I mean, there is no maybe, maybe we'll never figure out the secret to happiness and life, but that's a pretty good one to pick, wouldn't oh, you say? I think that's a hugely important one to pick that to me that's that's about meaning connecting to what's meaningfully important you know you talk about performing and 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 you're great at what you do you're also helping people and i don't know if if the the child version of you was clear on that it it was on me i always wanted to help people i had to learn how to do it in a healthy way not be codependent and not be (laughs) but but i i i think i'm sure that god made me to help people. Therefore, mm-hmm. if I'm going to trade my time for money, I want to do it in a way that is genuinely helping people in a way that's uniquely connected to my passions and my story and, and my, my journey. Another thing that my coach taught me, I love this, is to never stop growing. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, like literally until I die, I, I intend to keep growing. And it could be Big, big shifts of growth or a little incremental growth. But if you're always growing, then there's always uh, more to more to lean into. There's more to do. So you're never you're, you're yeah. never there. And you yep. love the fact that you're never there. Yes. Yes. That's that is the what I talk about the optimal self. It's I liken it to the northern star because it's a direction. It's it's never going to be a destination. You're never going to get to the north star, but it's always going to be a direction. It's always going to be something you can chase and pursue. I love that insight and almost just to reframe a little bit what it was that you were suggesting there with the need to help. Like my desire has always been, how can I help one feel better about themselves by giving them what they need in that moment? If they need to laugh, help them. Nice. If they need to cry, help them cry. Like that, that's always kind of been my take on that. Yeah. Um, just, to, just to sort of finish that thought, but something that I, I have to go back to is, as you were talking about your initial story, that sort of origin of becoming a coach, right. you talked about that awareness of plateauing, like plateauing and, and knowing like I am in plateau right now and I cannot stay there. I have to do something about that. Even if it means I have to significantly almost go downwards and start all over again at the bottom of another hill and have another climb in order to embrace that growth mindset that you're talking to talking to us about here, that incremental or large, whatever it may be, growth is growth. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about how you're doing that. You, you know, and let's speak from just your perspective, how you're pursuing your growth mindset or how you're really embracing this growth mode, this growth approach that you take to your life each and every day. Yeah, it, it was literally a process taught to me by, by Dr. Hill when I started working with him back in 2007. You, uh, you take time to get super honest about what are your priorities in your life. You write them down. So mine, I'll tell you mine are number one for me is my spiritual life, my spiritual connection to God. Number two is my physical health. Number three, or I bucket all my relationships into one category. Number four is my emotional health. Number five is a combination of professional and intellectual. That is my work and to continue to learn. And number six and last on purpose is financial. And like, and then rank, rank myself on a one to 10 or zero to 10 on each of those points. You make a, make a wheel diagram, but 
10 being perfect, which is not available, and zero being dead. And uh, and then plot the circle diagram and connect the dots. And where if you're balanced, then it's kind of like a like a circle, like a tire. And the goal is to, for the rest of my life, continue to grow in those areas and to try to stay relatively balanced. Mm. So I, I set goals in 18-month I set them a six-year, three-year, 18-month, and 90-day horizons on an engineered Excel sheet and literally uh, do things to grow in those areas in my life. I've been doing this now for 15 years. Mm. That That's like the core mechanics of it. The main point is to be super honest about a, what are your priorities? And B, how are you doing on them? And then commit to growth. Most people don't. Most people don't even do any of this, but most people think they should work hard until they retire and then go to the golf course and enjoy retirement. That is such a bad philosophy. Mm-hmm. So that is the mechanical process of how I do this. And then it's just a lot of philosophies. I'm a huge uh, student of whole science of positive psychology i'll never stop studying that there's all kinds of evidence that growing in positivity will lead to better health physical emotional relational and there's all kinds of things we can do to grow in that mm-hmm. i know one of the reasons i'm here today happy healthy productive guy after going through what i went through is because i was intentional about uh, the habits i've developed around positivity who i hang around with and mm. how i how i feel my life absolutely sure. there's all kinds of science around how it builds resilience um and I, one thing one reason i love coaching people selfishly is it constantly reminding me how to be like i learned this in college when i had a physics test coming up i would go find some student to tutor to prepare for their test and it when you teach something you become such a master of it so I teach others how to live a flourishing life. I'm more likely to learn, be a flourishing life liver. And I need, I need a role model that by the way, but it's this constant reminder to, to uh, do all this work on myself while I'm helping others. Yeah. I'm with you. And we're giving people an insight to how we, when, when we do connect and we chat, this is literally what we so do, we folks. <laughs> this is how we talk every single time. And what I'm hearing though is like, you're, you're talking about accountability here. Like and for me, I learned that lesson so early in the world of sport. You want to be good at something in the world of sports, surround yourself with people that are pursuing similar, if not even greater goals than you. And when it comes to coaching, for me, the, the, the moment I realized that in the business space as an executive coach, thinking, okay, if I'm going to be the greatest coach that I can be for my clients, I need to show up, I need to create the shared space, and then I need to be this this beacon, if you will, of what it means to grow, like to really prioritize and emphasize growth throughout every part and corner and every every area, every area of your life. And that doesn't exist, funnily enough, in the world of sport from the coaching side of things. Coaches don't do that very well in the world of sport. They're so competitive that they don't come together and they don't connect and they don't communicate and they wonder why they're always pissed off. That's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. But on on this side of things, the positivity, you know, just simply reaching out to other people that want to be 
positive, that want to have a positive life. Like we came into one another's lives through an introduction of a friend of yours and we've never actually met in person to shake one another's hand or give one another a hug. But we make time for one another to be positive in one another's lives because we want positivity. Yes. At the heart of it, that's actually a really simple philosophy that for whatever reason, most people decide not to sign up for. I, I don't understand why, but well, here's a great example of how you create positivity. The reason most people don't is it's not culturally normal. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And if you turn on television or read anything on social media, you're going to get bombarded with negativity. You get... And then you get all twisted up, overly concerned what you think other people think of you or comparing yourself to others. Our philosophy gets just completely broken instead of core philosophies of being responsible for your own emotions, the people you hang out with, what you read, what you watch. All those things are, are available to take control over, just not mm-hmm. just kind of weird. I'm I'm fine that yeah. I'm fine that I'm weird. Another thing, and I, you and I are both vulnerable. Like, right? T- 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 my book is very, very, very vulnerable. It's like just to lay it all out there, be open and honest, and tell the mm-hmm. truth, and and uh, don't hold back is is a strong leadership principle and and the uh, best way to live, I think, and the best way to lead. Oh yeah, no doubt, yeah. no doubt, and and again. <laughs> That's what's what I find to be very interesting is this world of positivity that we both operate in and prioritize. Part of positivity is is being honesty, is being honest, is being truthful, is being vulnerable. And people associate those words for whatever reason with flaws. And it's like I don't again, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, for me, it's like if the people that are the closest to me in my world are the ones that have the most positive impact on me, first and foremost but they're the ones that are most willing to let their guard down and let me in so that I can also let them in too. And and so like that, that's a huge part of this whole experience. And here we are on a podcast that talks about being competitive, about optimizing your career. And folks, listen, all of this stuff that we're talking about right now, it's going to do exactly that. If, if you start prioritizing positivity, human connection, vulnerability, watch your life and career grow watch it yeah like it's going to happen it is actually that simple yeah 100 100 yeah. yeah let's talk about the book okay. let's talk about the book again you you let us in a little bit there through your backstory of just what the book's about and uh you know going on this journey with kim and i think for me what i really want this to be about is uh you know a message for why, because I know so much of this book was written to inspire, to encourage, to motivate, to show people that you are able to deal with what life throws at you. Like you, you let me in with so much of this throughout the writing process. I, I take, I, I just appreciate so much. For me, I'm just, I would love for you to start right there. Like, why is it that this book is going to be considering the backstory? Why is this book going to be this, this? thing of encouragement of of positivity of support that i know you've you've put so much time and effort into making sure it is yeah no thanks for asking i'm I'm still even though i've written it it's done i'm still absorbing some of the points of it so i don't have like real crisp bulletized answers to your question um <laughs> Here's one. It's a podcast. You don't need no, to be crisp. You, you can allow. You can take your time. Know, elaborate. Uh, <laughs> you know, talking talking with you and others helps me figure things out. So, 
Kim and I had the perfect marriage and she had, we had both, she was a widow. Her first husband took his own life. I'd gone through what I'd gone through. When we met, we were both equally healed from trauma from the past. And we actually both realized that early lives of ours, we were both codependent. We learned what that was. And when we met, we had this common language of health and independence and hard work and love and faith. And we were just perfectly yoked and building our lives together. Literally when it, it just couldn't be any better. And then one day her hand started to cramp up. Just she was writing Christmas cards to her clients. And then we were on the treadmill training for our 18th half marathon together. And her right leg cramped up. A few weeks later, she was diagnosed. And a year later, she died. It was just like she, perfectly healthy woman, could get that disease and die. It could happen to anybody. That's one Mm -hmm. major takeaway is that Mm -hmm. life is absolutely fragile, no matter how healthy or careful or whatever the things. Not to scare people, just to remind we're all biological beings and our time, our physical time on this planet will come to an end. Right. Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, right. That's one. We should, the two days after she was diagnosed, we sat down in our kitchen. And by that point, she was per, pretty much perfectly healthy. She had a couple of aches and pains. But we knew what was coming. We, we had helped other friends of ours go through the ALS journey until he died. So we knew this disease, which was a blessing because we didn't have to go figure it out. But we sat down and we had a, we made an agreement that we were going to live every day left, one day at a time, with with joy and with fun and laughter and make the most out of every day. And we agreed to let the doctor do all the doctor stuff. And we would pretend we're on vacation every day until it ended. And she smiled every day. <laughs> including the day she died. Um, I have, I can't tell you how special that was to be her husband through that journey of a, of a, another human being I'm, I'm taking care of who smiles every day. One day she told me how sorry she felt for me. I said, well, why? She goes, well, I'm going to heaven. It's going to be a party for me, but you're going to be taking care of me and then stuck here without me. Oh my gosh. So, um, I, I now have an acute awareness that life is fragile and it could happen to anybody. I'm thankful that I, I didn't get mad at God. I'm still not mad at God. For some reason, my faith was grounded enough to, to shifting to an acknowledgement. It's her time. Mm-hmm. This is God's plan. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't pray for a miracle of healing, unless that was something he had in mind. I prayed for her to have peace, that she knew where she was going. And for her to not suffer, that's what I prayed for. Right. Um, I grew spiritually. I grew closer to who I think God is. And my faith is even stronger than ever. Um, what I saw in that journey were others on the same journey who took it miserably the wrong direction. People super angry, super mad, and... and uh, Denying the diagnosis, and chasing every possible uh, way to make it not true, and and, and I saw him um, burn the few days that were left in a way that didn't serve both the patient or the caregiver. So, my uh, one of my 
I talked about it in the book, the chapter on caregiving, but one of the pieces of advice I give from a psychological perspective, if you're caregiving for somebody with a terminal illness, or if you have a terminal illness, make the most of the time you have left. Like, right. um, there's a book, um, my brain is dead today, but several books about people who, once they get diagnosed with a terminal illness, they live for the first time. Like, Thing, right. what's important comes in perspective when your time is short. Yeah. Here's something I'm curious about. Why does it take having that kind of a emotional jolt to wake us up to the beauty all around us? And one thing I'm hoping this book will be as a surrogate. People read it and say, oh, my God, if that could happen to that perfectly healthy couple, why am I waiting to start living? Yeah. And, and I just so you know. Before I've even read the book, you've you've already played that part in my life. You've you've already helped me with that. You you've helped me realize that life is too short, and that this podcast has actually served other conversations similar to that that give me that jolt, that reminder that I need from time to time that that there is reason for me to wake up and make the most of every interaction, every opportunity, every minute. And not get hung up in the anger, not get hung up in the disappointments, et cetera, et cetera. Do I still sometimes fall short? Of course, I'm a human being. But at the, at the same time, knowing that I'm more on the on the consistent side of pursuing getting the most out of every day because of relationships like like ours and experiences like a podcast like this and then obviously this book – I think that is 100% going to get across to people. And something that I just want to touch on here as you were answering that question is this notion of one day at a time mindset. Like talk to just elaborate a little bit more on that because there's there's no doubt that that's a powerful message that's going to come out of this book, this one day at a time mindset. Talk to us a little bit about just your perspective on that very sentiment. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. When I shut, I shut down my business. She shut down her business. We're living in a little apartment on the ninth floor of a downtown Durham. And, and she's dying every day, a little closer to it. And I get up really early in the morning, clean the kitchen, feed the cat, take a shower, and have a lot of time to think until she woke up. And as the disease progressed, she would sleep later and later. So that, that morning time was kind of my, my time to think about stuff. And I, mean, I went out on our balcony one more. I, I get up really early and go out while it's still dark out, sit on the balcony and look out. And I went out one morning, I don't know, it was a couple of months in, with my coffee and my Bible and my journal. And I, I looked out and I started thinking about the past of our marriage. And I just fell apart into tears, like sobbing. I caught my breath. I'm like, oh God, I can't, I can't think about the past. It's too sad. So I thought, all right, I'm thinking about the future. And then hmm. I, did a fast forward of what's coming and she's going to get more and more paralyzed and one day not be able to eat, breathe, die. And I'll be alone. I cry. I just fell apart again. I'm like, damn, right. damn. I, I, I think about the past. I cry. I think about the future. I cry. So I just literally, I took a deep breath. I looked out hmm. and the sun's starting to come up. Like it's just poking over the horizon, orange. And I look out and I see these birds flying around. And I listen, I hear some traffic, the train coming by, and I took a deep breath. And I went, whew, it's not so bad right here. 
And then I, as the more I sat, sat there in that moment, I, I smiled. I'm like, you know, it's, it's not actually, it's not bad at all right here. She's asleep. I'm here. Sunrise is coming. And I realized, okay, I'm like, every day I'm going to do this, like to reset myself for today, because my job is to be a good caregiver for her. I had two, I had two jobs, be a great caregiver for her and keep myself healthy enough to have a chance at a life after she died. Luckily, we had enough money to pay for all that. And so I was pretty clear on that. So I, this was a coping mechanism to avoid all those tears. I also recognize I'm a better caregiver if I'm more joyfully there when she wakes up. And then it hit me. me, This is not just a good philosophy for coping with this caregiving nightmare and losing my wife, but it's like, it's how I want to live after she dies. And, and I, uh, by the way, I was analyzing my dissertation during this exact same time. My, my uh, advisor at the university begged me to take a leave of absence. She said, there's no way you can finish this thing and take care of your wife. I said, yes, I can. And I'd like your help to help me get it done faster instead of talking me out of doing it. I was afraid if I, right. if I took a leave of absence, I might not come back and finish it. So sure. I found that I could get present and compartmentalize and get into flow and get like 10 times more done through this developed presence than ever before. Like I got really good at like I'm here with you now. I got really good at being here now with whatever I'm doing. It's not only happier, it's far more productive. And that's like here now at a moment at a time life. So get lazy about it. Just do one day at a time. But the point is put a frame around now and always be there. And I'm not, I didn't create this idea. Every ancient sage has talked about this. The Bible, I learned it. But you've taken, yeah, and that's the thing here, man. It's like there's there's a difference between knowledge. I've always believed, and I'm sure there's books that emphasize this, but for me, there's always this key difference between knowledge and wisdom. And like wisdom is lived. Wisdom is experience. And and so you went through that that evolution you went from this knowledge of how to be present and why we should be present etc to that experience yes and it became something that you now get to write from this perspective of wisdom and say hey listen this is how it is this is how i how i did it this is how i was able to successfully navigate the hardest most adverse most relentlessly unforgiving chapter of my life like and that that's what's that that is the the part that comes out of this is that all of this knowledge that you had and all of this knowledge that is available to people, you applied it and you now have that wisdom that it works. It works. And and it's and it serves you far, far, far beyond the very adversity that you went through when it was tested to its to its limits. Yeah. No, it, it and it's changed me still to this day. I'm different than I was three years ago right. on, on, on lots of ways, but specifically on my ability to be present. More, more often, I'm not perfect either, but I'm more, I'm better at marching through the day, being present to what I'm doing, and I, I, I and my life is flourishing and right. and um, attracting good things into it, and uh, I don't want to lose that lesson because I know I'm equally vulnerable to become a worrier or a regretter. Like I want to, I want to be this mm-hmm. guy. If I made a mistake, which I made tons of them, I want to be the guy who can learn from, <laughs> who can learn from it, right, and let it go. Right. Tomorrow's not here yet, so don't go there yet. My wife, Kim, wrote, don't let worry about tomorrow ruin your today on her Facebook page when she was like six months into her disease. Right, right. Blew me away when I read that. 
don't let worry about tomorrow ruin yeah. your today. That's pretty awesome. And it, it's a it, it's a response system. I, I think that's what's so cl- like so important to emphasize here is like you just alluded to it there is like you're not perfect i'm not perfect you make mistakes i make mistakes but so much of what you're talking about here is a response system it's not about avoiding mistakes it's not about avoiding being a bad person at times you're going to make mistakes and sometimes you may even be a bad person but how do you respond yeah learn from it how do you respond learn from it exactly get better grow that was all comes back to that ability and that desire to grow but Listen, man, I, I, I have this sort of 35, 40 minute limit to my episodes. We're already a couple minutes past okay. it, but I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to, I'm still, we're not going to be done just yet because what I want to ask you before I give you all the, uh, give you the chance to give us information on the book, what I want to just ask you, man, is when you look at your days now and you consider like today, put it in the win column. Yes, I got everything out of this day. Yes, I showed up and made the most of this day. I'm curious, how are you assessing that? Like, what what does that look like? What does a win look like in your world right now, from one day to the next? Well, well from a practical perspective, I write down my goals every day in my phone, <laughs> and so yeah. if, it's partially a to do list, partially it's philosophical reminders. But if I if I do everything I tell myself to do every day, I call that a win. But mm-hmm. more, do I wake up? healthy and happy and stay there all day? Am I present all day? Do I love all people? The key point about this book is love. Love myself, love other people, love God, love this planet. Um, If I remind myself that I was created by a loving God with one assignment to give love out, the details take care of themselves and that's a good day. That's a good day. And I'm, I'm testing this hypothesis, but if I live with that philosophy, the other ways we measure success are abundantly good. Well, the data and the feedback so far is pretty encouraging. There's no doubt. Thank you. There's no doubt that this, that this approach that you're taking is uh, it's working. And I love that sentiment for us to sort of close on here, like lead with love and just about most things are going to fall into place as long as you're able to do that. And so I, I just appreciate that. This has been been long overdue. You know, we've been trying to do this and finding the right reason to do it. And we absolutely have the right reason to be doing it with the release of the book. And with that in mind, tell everybody what they need to know, where they can get hold of the book and where they can learn more about you too. Yeah. So the book in paperback and in Kindle is available on Amazon. It's called Born, Love, Die, colon, a memoir. Uh, I'm asking people to buy two copies, one for themselves to read and one to give to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking people to write reviews. That, that helps. Um, I'm, I'm nervous as hell about what <laughs> I hear back because it's such a, it's, right. it's incredibly, I get naked, like literally it's such a vulnerable, sure. vulnerable, one whole chapter is my journal entries unedited yeah so yep. be nice <laughs> um and then you can learn more about me on my website is brettblairphd.com and i'm on i'm all over facebook and linkedin and uh i'm so thankful for this podcast and for our friendships too oh me too man right back at you it's been such a pleasure to have you on all that information that you just shared is going to be in the show notes as well and again I, I don't know how to necessarily put into words uh, 
the impact and the uh, just pure beauty of the intention behind this book and why you've written it. And uh, I'm so excited to read it. Uh, I'm so excited to discuss it after I read it with you and on our next uh, on our next FaceTime, Zoom, Zoom call, whatever it is. But with everything, man, good luck. And as always, you've got a fan in me and I'm just excited to see where everything goes for you for the remainder of the year and, and beyond. So thanks again for joining the show, brother. Thank you. And right back at you. Let's get together soon. All right, man. That's it. Good stuff. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Career Competitor. And before you leave, be sure to take advantage of your free one-time discovery call with me to see how I can be of service to you as a coach or potentially even your team. Depending on what it is you're looking for at this point within your career, I want to be able to serve you with 30 minutes of my time to see how I can be of use to you and help you on your path of continued growth towards your optimal self in order to find optimal performance. Be sure to reach out to me, Steve, at careercompetitor.com or just head to the website, careercompetitor.com. I look forward to connecting with you soon and bye for now.